0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and we're brought to you each and every week by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. Now, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We've been bringing you this show um, or bringing this show to entrepreneurs now for three years. We've interviewed well over 180 business leaders and movers and shakers who have provided untold advice on how to become a successful entrepreneur. And this is the business radio program where we we don't talk about the stock price fluctuations of Fortune 500 companies or any of that stuff. We try to give you practical advice to help you become one of those Fortune 500 companies. Each week, we bring you the latest information on what is happening in business throughout the world. I've still got a bit of that chest infection that um, I had last week, so... um, I apologise for that. But at the moment, it seems to be okay. As it gets colder and darker at night, it seems to get worse. I don't know why that is. So did you catch the news this week about that bloody idiot murder suspect who asked Siri where he could hide a dead body? (laughs) Can you believe it? It's a true story. A a guy accused of murdering his roommate asked Siri where to hide the dead body. (laughs) Huh. Pedro Bravo from Florida is on trial for kidnapping and strangling his roommate Christian Aguilar over an argument about an ex-girlfriend. So he was charged with murder, although his friend's body was not found until weeks later when hunters stumbled across Aguilar in a shallow grave in a forest. Now, this is where technology will really get you. Phone records show that Bravo had used Apple's assistant, Siri, to help him locate a place to ditch the body, as well as use the phone's flashlight nine times on the day that Aguilar disappeared. When he asked Siri where he should bury the body, now this is a bit of a worry, Siri responded, What kind of a place are you looking for? And then Siri suggested four options, swamps, reservoirs, metal foundries, and dumps. Now, the cops have got him nailed, and he's obviously a guy who doesn't watch too much forensic cop shows on television. But how does Siri get to know that you dump a body in those places? I mean, who programs this thing? Or does Siri suddenly become a um, uh, an expert on giving murder advice? That's a bit I can't work out. Somebody's actually sat there and programmed this thing. If some guy rings in and says he's murdered somebody, this is where you tell him to, um, to put the body. Huh. Whoops. Uber's going to be a big disruptor in, you know, it's already a big disruptor in cabs. Um, I love it. He used it. And... Uh, it's now about to be a big disruptor in package delivery. It's gearing up to launch an unknown and unknown an on-demand product delivery service in Washington DC and it's called Corner Store. Now when the service launches a limited set of Uber users initially will be able to order convenience store goods, medicines, diapers, toothpaste, and hundreds of other items via Uber's app. So this launch mirrors, I guess, numerous competing product-on-demand delivery service, including Postmates, um, eBay Now, One One. It appears that Uber, however, will handle all deliveries by car, unlike its competition, because they usually rely on bike messengers. As a result, the corner store launch will not coincide with the Uber Rush DC launch. This um, on-demand delivery space is getting pretty hot. And so far, Uber's only dabbled with promotional deliveries in New York. Um, and it might explain why they're testing it in Washington, DC and not in Los Angeles, San Francisco and or New York. But according to Uber, the experiment will run for a few weeks. But Uber says... If you love it, it'll last. So um, they've got to be perfect for delivery space, haven't they, Uber? You know, if you can pick up people, you can pick up a bloody package. And if you can drive it across town and drop it, why wouldn't you? I mean, I love, I've got to tell you, I I think UPS and um, um, Federal Express do an unbelievable job. You think of all the billions of packages they get and how they get them from one spot to the other and they deliver them very quickly and very efficiently. I don't have a problem with that. But just being able to, you know that they're picking up 20 things on their run and they're dropping off 20 things on their run. How good is it just to be able to call Uber and have somebody that lives in the next street or the next block come round, pick up your package and take it to where you want it to go, take it fast and straight, without any other drop-offs, that has got to be the perfect model for dropping off packages, apart from drones. I'm all for drones, but me thinks the government's going to give everybody a pain in the ass before before drones are allowed anywhere near dropping off pizzas to our back door. Now, I don't know how many of you have got great memories, but can you cast your mind back to this very same time on this very same day in 2004, it's only 10 years ago, but right now, Google went public at 85 bucks a share with a market capitalization of 23 billion. And remember all the skeptics? God, they came out of the woodwork. It's ridiculous. How could it possibly be valued at that much money? Everybody who buys shares is going to lose their dough. Well, now it's 10 years later, 10 years today. They have built themselves into a giant with a market cap of 400 billion. People thought they were overpriced at, what, 35, 23? Jesus. So now their market cap's 20 times what it was just 10 years ago. But some of the other numbers are interesting too. In 2004 their total revenue was 3 billion. 3. <laughs> now it's 67 67 billion a year. This is where the big numbers are though. In 2004 its annual revenue per unique monthly visitor was just $33. Now it's 119. That's a huge jump. The number of people visiting Google in 2004 was um, 64 million people today it's 236 million people go to Google every month now this is an interesting one the Google percentage of revenue from advertising in 2004 was 99% today It's down to 90%, so they found other ways to monetize their company. Full time Google employees, when they went public in 2004, 2000. Today they employ 52,000 people. And the other interesting thing is the bigger they've got, their operating profit margins have increased. Their operating profit margins are now 27%. That's a bloody good margin on a heap of dough, isn't it? Needless to say, because they've got great margins on great turnover, their cash holdings in June 2004 were a lousy $255 million. Today, they've got $61 billion sitting in the bank. $61 Thousand million dollars sitting in the bank. Woo. So also in the news this week was a report that Walmart supercenters are struggling as consumers increasingly choose convenience over one-stop shops. Walmart's mega stores suffered a half percent same-store sales decline in the last quarter and foot traffic for Walmart's US stores fell by 1.1%. Doesn't sound like much, but when you look at the number of people that go to Walmart on a daily basis, it's a lot. Now, by comparison, there's smaller format stores, which are called neighborhood markets, generated same-store sales growth of about 6%, and traffic increased by 4%. Now, these neighborhood markets are about a fifth of the size of the supercenters, and they're located in urban areas. Um, where incomes tend to be a bit higher, so you'd expect them to do a bit better. Well, supercenters are typically sitting, you know, in cities' outlets and outskirts and, you know, at somewhere around industrial areas and, and working-class areas. Groceries account for 56% of everything sold at Walmart. 56% of everything sold at Walmart are groceries, and uh, the research is showing that consumers no longer buy food and beverages at one-stop shops. Today, the competition spread out amongst a whole bunch of retail channels, including supermarkets, drug stores, dollar stores, limited assortment chains, and of course, the elephant in the room, e-commerce. And uh, according to Deloitte's, consumers shop at five different types of stores to fulfill their grocery needs. She be. I must be different than the typical because if I can't get it at Costco or Ralph's, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to go to five different sources for my food. And uh, Goldman Sachs analysts said in a recent research note predicting the slow decline of big box retailers like Walmart and Target that consumers are now carrying this shopping behaviour over to other product categories. So instead of relying on a single retailer to give them the best value and assortment, consumers are more focused on some combination of value and convenience. Now, when you think about it, because of the internet, (coughs) excuse me, because of the internet, prices are much more competitive and it used to be that the big boxes had a huge price advantage over other retailers. But I don't think they do anymore because people... Are prepared to pay so much for a product. And we know that if, if they'll go somewhere that's got fantastic customer service, and they're prepared to pay 9 to 13% more for great customer service than no customer service. So I guess it's not surprising that um, prices are evening out. And the rise, the rise of online retailers like Amazon's made it possible for consumers to sh- shop and compare prices in just a couple of clicks. And an increasing number of um, retailers are now offering free shipping, fast shipping, same-day shipping. And, uh, you know, there's not that many reasons, unless you're like me and love shopping, to step inside a physical store. I mean, I love going to the store. I love looking at all the new stuff and picking it up and seeing what crap I can buy. But um, a lot of people don't like that. But as a result, Walmart's rapidly expanding its neighbourhood market locations, but they've only got 400 of them, so it's still too small to um, offset the lacklustre sales at its 3,500 superstores. So retail might not have come full circle, but it's certainly done a U-turn. It's certainly different than it was. Please excuse my cough. I just cannot get rid of this thing. If anybody's got any great suggestions on how to get rid of um, some sort of lung thing, let me know. Also, during the week was announced that WeChat, the China-based messaging app, has reached 438 million users, which is getting awful close to Facebook's market leader, WhatsApp. WhatsApp which has got 500 million users and WeChat is increasing its users by 14 million a month and that amounts to user growth of 86% compared to the 236 million unique users that it had at the end of the second quarter of 2013. So WeChat is closing in I guess that's to be expected. There's a hell of lot of people in China, isn't there? And um, it's much harder for WhatsApp to do business in China than it is from um, WeChat to do business everywhere else. Now, Amazon's just released a new credit card processing service called Local Register. And this uh, puts it in direct competition with Square and other companies with um, card readers like PayPal and Intuit. Square, they're the three that I can think of, but Amazon plans to crush this competition because it reckons that its combination of excellent customer service, lower prices, and, of course, its massive database is a winner. And probably you can't remember, but when Square first launched, it was notorious for atrocious customer service, where Amazon is always... is um, Hearing praises about Amazon's customer service, they they really do fan, do it fantastically well, and they're also going to offer. One thing that's a bit of a problem is they're going to offer swipe fees of one point seven five percent for the next couple of years, um, and then it'll go out to two point five percent, which again is less than Square and PayPal. And you know it's bloody hard to make a dollar off credit card transactions. The the profit margins are just minute. Um, in fact, Square sometimes loses money with every card swipe. So even if the much bigger Amazon has a better deal with credit card companies than Square and can truly dominate the market, it's still going to be bloody hard for them to be very lucrative. The key for Amazon, of course, is that its bricks-and-mortar payments ambitions extend far beyond its credit card readers. Its new local register website sells accessories like cash drawers, receipt printers, um, reader-equipped cases, and stands. And it also pitches Amazon Local, a service that helps businesses set up daily deals as well as log in and pay with Amazon, which enables websites to let their customers pay through their Amazon accounts. So essentially, Amazon's got it all happening from all fronts, and it's hoping that all this will pull people into its entire ecosystem and you know they, they've got all these other things as well they've got accounting software and inventory management and a whole collection of tools to make brick and mortar shops much more effective and efficient so while each individual service not, might not make much money having them all coming together could be huge and amazon's got a long-term view of things so while they look like they're just launching a bunch of little itsy-bitsy pieces, it'll tie them all together and it'll have a grand vision of commerce and retail. You can count on it. Now, this program's all about entrepreneurs. We love entrepreneurs and we particularly love young entrepreneurs. So I heard heard this story the other day and I thought it was great. Kenneth Shinakuza, I apologise if I've pronounced it badly, a 15-year-old from New York City, became one of Google's 15 Global Science Fair finalists for his project about finding a way to stop Alzheimer's patients from wandering at night. Now, um, Shiduza's father, sorry, grandfather, is one of the 5.2 million Americans who have Alzheimer's and that are given to wandering, especially at night. So while Shiduza's grandfather's caregiver was there that seldom wake up when he started wandering. I mean, police have found this guy two miles from his home. So when he wanders, he seriously wanders. So Shinozuka created a system that wirelessly triggers an alert on the caregiver's smartphone when the patient steps out of bed. Now, during the six-month trial with his grandfather... His prototypes del- detected 100% of the 437 known times that his grandfather started wandering. And they had absolutely no false alarms. That is fantastic. So, what does 15 year old Shinozuka do? Does he go out, register the app, and start making a fortune? Uh-uh. This kid is in the process of manufacturing hundreds of sensors that he's donating to nursing homes for Alzheimer's patients. How cool is that? This kid is a gem. He is one of 18 incredibly intelligent teenagers who made it to this year's Google Science Fair finals. So congratulations to Shinozuka. Good on you. You sound like a really good guy. And congratulations also to all of the other 17 finalists. And I hope you can give back to the community the way that um, Shirozuka has. Good on you. We're getting close to Apple's iPhone 6. Some people say next month. Some people say November. But what it does look like is that it's going to be a serious blockbuster as the supply chain data is pointing towards Apple gearing up to move 80 million iPhone 6s across the two models, presuming they're going to bring out a 4.7-inch and a 5.5-inch. Now, this is a huge uptick from last year when they only did 55 million units, and that would make the uh, iPhone 6 one enormous hit for Apple, and they reckon that Apple will sell a minimum of 10 million phones in the first week sheesh there are also rumors that the iPhone 6 will have a longer battery life than its predecessors which would be a huge win as the iPhone's battery's long been considered to be the phone's Achilles heel batteries just go so fast don't they because you, you don't realize you've got all this stuff running that's draining your battery all the time Um. So a much longer life battery would be great. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, doesn't matter what it is, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we will email you directly. Now, right after the break, I'm going to be talking with my mate and a great guy, Jeffrey Hazlett. He's a a brilliant speaker, and he was the guy that was hired to try and get Kodak, Eastman Kodak, out of the shit. And he went to them, and he said, look, you know, you're not in the film business. You guys are in the recording memories business. And they said, rubbish, we're in the film business. Well, he was right. They were wrong. They went broke. Jeffrey is doing very well, thank you very much. Shares his time between New York and his farm. So he's, he's a brilliant speaker. He's a great marketing man. He's a radio host. You see him on Bloomberg. This guy is all over the place, and deservedly so. So we're going to chat about the latest project he's got, which is using the latest in OTT to build a media empire from the ground You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. And I'll be back with my mate Jeffrey in just a moment.
0: you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with if so you must join the american institute of sales marketing and management america's foremost accreditation institute you'll be amazed at how aismm can open doors that you can't increase your prestige and influence add the letters aismm after your name apply now go to aismm.org again that's aismm.org You are listening to the Bob Pritchard radio show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Bob at bobpritchard.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard
1: Radio show. We're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. And welcome also to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs. People who think outside the box and have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all become more successful. It's bloody hard to be successful, and uh, we need to learn from those who go before us and not make the same mistakes over and over again. So the idea of this segment of the show is to find out what makes successful people tick, so that we we can learn from the things that make them successful and how. Learn how they overcame their challenges. There are challenges that confront every startup business. Jeffrey Hazlett is a global business celebrity and a f- former Fortune 100 C suite executive from small business to international corporations. Jeffrey's put his creativity and extraordinary entrepreneur, entrepreneurial skills into play launching ventures, blending his leadership perspectives, insights into professional development, mass marketing prowess, and affinity for social media. i tell you what, though, I saw him first at Metal. I often talk about the Metal group that I belong to in Los Angeles, and uh, he is a great public speaker and the author of several best-selling books, uh, The Mirror Test, and I think the last time I saw him running the gauntlet, He was promoting. Um, He's a celebrity editor to one of the largest circulation business publications and one of the most compelling figures in global business. He's he's highly respected. He appears frequently on programs like Fox Business News, MSNBC's Your Business and NBC's Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. He has a better hairstyle though. He's a turnaround architect of the highest order. A maverick marketer who's established C-Suite TV, which is to be delivered by over-the-top content, which is OTT. And we're just about to find out what the hell that is. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you?
2: Hey, I think I'm going to stop right now and quit while I'm ahead. That was a great introduction, so thank you.
1: Pleasure. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And they, um, yeah, I
2: can't, it's a great place to be, being on radio, talking about OTT, you know, talking about television. That's an awesome thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. It's good. Um, actually, while I think of it, I had your uh, friend Tony Engberg, um, who you work with at Eastern Kodak on the show last week, and he said to say hi.
2: Oh, my goodness, I haven't seen Tony in years. That's awesome. He's a great professional. I worked with him for a number of years at Kodak, and he's been doing a great job there.
1: Yeah, I'm going up to see him next week in, um, in Santa Barbara, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay, what is OTT?
2: Yeah, You know, it's, OTT stands for what's called over-the-top television, and, and it's probably a bad term, quite frankly, because it it's basically a, a term that's used by television to say that it's different than broadcast when it's the same. There's no difference between television today that's online and television that's broadcast, it's just where it's at or where sure. you consume it. Yeah. So OTT typically reserves you know, in terms of you know, reserves its terms for around Hulu, Netflix, places like that. So where you can actually see television online, and it usually has a couple of different versions of it. There's an, you know, an on-demand version, which is most common yeah. and that's the way we're starting to consume. I mean, when was the last time you said, "Hey, I've got to get home and watch my show?" You know, we don't do that like we used to, no, we and, don't. and that's what OTT is about. It's, it's really about being on demand, online, anywhere, no matter what your device. Whether you want to watch it on television on your TV screen, which is just a, another screen, or you want to watch it on a mobile device.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the same things happening with with radio. More people listen to this show um, through the archives the next day, or of course, the, when you're when you're on the internet. Um, you, the times are different all over the world, so if you want to listen to this show in London, it's like three o'clock in the morning. So, yep. you know, it it makes life much easier for most people. Um,
2: well, and, and let me say, Bob. I mean, that's one of the things that we found. I mean, we're you know we run what's called the C suite network, and it's the largest, most powerful business network in the world. You know, incorporating roughly. 8 million businesses, but really when I look at the businesses, we we're really focused on businesses that are $10 million or greater all the way through the big boys that are billions and trillions, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that in itself is just a roughly about 600,000 businesses in North America, and by interviewing those folks, we find that most of them read their content or get their content early in the morning when they first wake up. And they're yep. getting it on these mobile devices, you know, or via email. That's still a large portion of it. It's amazing. You would think that they're not doing email as much, but they really are. And then, you know, they also check it once or twice throughout the day through some services they have. And so, so that's yep. why OTT is important. That's why you're, you're, you know, you taping this and doing it digitally is also important because that's when people, you want to go to where the people are, and that's what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah, they need to. These days, um, everybody's travelling so much. I thought um, you'd, you'd think that with the advent of communication, with the way communications increased, that people would travel less and less. But um, in fact, I think people seem to be moving around more and more. So your time's so limited.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I say, you know, I, I make a joke because I would have somebody in here today with a magazine. In my offices, and we were doing an interview there, and we were talking about, you know, paper and how it's changed, magazines have changed, but yet it's still around. There's a lot of magazines that are doing very well, a lot of newspapers that are, quite frankly, still doing very well. In some parts of the world, you know, newspaper growth is actually up. But you know, back in 1980, there was a guy named Charles Wang, Wang Computers, who said by the year 2000, all we'd have is a we'd have a paperless society. Well, the only thing we had in the year 2000 was a wanglish society. You know? So if, if, <laughs> you know, if people like the content, they want the content, they're going to get the content. And, and, I, and my belief as a marketer, and you mentioned that in my, in my bio in the introduction, is I want to give it to them the way they want to receive it or consume it. And that's why we're, you know, doing C-Suite TV is I want to get to the key decision makers, those 3 million executives that control 95% of all B2B spend. That's what our network is designed to do. And we're going and giving them the information the way they want it, and we're finding out that's digital, and it's still broadcast quality using the same cameras, the same crews, the same people, same companies that we're interviewing, because I'm doing them. I've got the new show called... You know, in addition to my Bloomberg show, I now have this show called Mind Your Own Business, right. and, and, and it gives a you know a behind-the-scenes look at some of the biggest transactions that are going on in the world.
1: It's, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting that um, we've been saying, marketers have been saying for as long as forever that the customer's always right, and we've now finally got to the point where the customer is the only person that counts. If you don't give the customer what they want, when they want it, they just drop you now. Where previously you used to be able to get away with it. I don't know why. <laughs>
2: well, because they did, they, the reason you got away with it, there was no other alternative. Now they got yep. alternatives. They have a way to, one, voice their opinion. Social media has certainly done that. You know, where now they can be vocal. Before, they were bitching and moaning and complaining before. We just didn't have to didn't hear it. Now we're forced <laughs> to listen
1: to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, the name of the network, C-Suite TV, obviously geared at the C-Suite, um, it's a pretty diverse yet the C suites are very diverse and focused range of skill sets from the um, CEO to the CTO to the CMO etc. Um, how do you appeal to all of those? It seems to me, and I, I do a bit on on the show here today, that um, CMOs seem to be out in out of touch with CEOs. I gave some figures last week that eighty. 9% I think of CEOs don't trust the information that their CMO gives them. <laughs> um,
2: so, uh, that's, a, that's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, in a lot of ways I think we've earned it. I think marketers have, you know, we went through this period for a while where we created our own language where we talked about TARPs and all the rest of the things. It didn't make any sense to anybody. and. Um, didn't didn't have any reflection on the result that you were trying to get. Um, and uh, while everybody else was starting to talk in terms of quarterly profits and and those sorts of things, return on investment, marketers seemed to take a hell of a long time to learn those terms.
2: But I wouldn't say all marketers, Bob. I I would say smart marketers figured it out pretty quick. And and I think good marketers today are really coming from the business side of it, not coming from the brand side. And I I think for a long, long time, as you know, we had marketers that were in that C-suite. That really were brand officers, and they, yes. you know, they, as long as they bought an ad on the Super Bowl or did a pretty commercial or a nice logo and did some communications, they were, and they were primarily seen that way. Yeah, you know, chief marketing officer only has been around for about seventeen years, uh, right. thereabouts, in terms of the position. So, it, and it's only in the last number of years, you know, the last half of that where they've started to get a seat at the table at the C-suite and become yep. a real chief marketing officer. So, and I think that's changing, you know, Eric Schmidt, you know, uh, friend, yep. Uh, yep. you know, chairman of Google, Mm. Non-executive chairman of Google, you know, he's. I think he said one time, the last bastion of you know unaccounted spending was the marketing budget, and that's the way it's been for a long time. And and so, yeah, I think we we marketers did have a lot of bullshit in their language, and Absolutely. and they've and they've had to change that because the markets changed. I think digital, quite frankly, has been the reason for that change, because because with digital spending, and digital advertising, digital marketing. You get to see the analytics with data that you never got a chance to see before, and I think that's really changed things a lot.
1: Yeah, this, this same um, study that I, I saw said that 64% of, um, of companies still don't have a social media strategy.
2: Well, they, they don't. And then think about that. But even now, with all the things that are moving on the mobile side, they don't have a mobile strategy either. I mean, yeah, true. By by and large, most you know most uh, CMOS uh, their mobile strategy is, hey, we have an iPhone app, you know, yeah. which is not a strategy in itself. And uh, yet, you know, most advertising or search is now done via mobile today. So you should pretty much have some kind of idea of, you know, how you're going to build your websites in parallax or, you know, what's the systems and so forth and so on. But a lot of folks are not doing that. I mean that's, and that's the value that we bring around again, getting back to the C suite T V and the C suite network, is that we're trying to provide a forum for people to have these conversations in the C suite. Yes. Because it's not just the the CEO anymore, it is the CMO, the CFO, the chief sales officer, you know, VPs and above that, that you really have to have a team effort to, to make decisions and get change accomplished or growth accomplished. And, and that's what we're trying to do through the network, and that's what we're trying to do through C-Suite TV by having a mechanism for us to interview people's shows. And today we've got, you know, my Bloomberg show, which is the C-Suite with Jeffrey Hayes, and we also have Mind Your Own Business, but we're adding new shows that will be announced over the next few months, and we're going to continue to grow the network, you know, so that it's a, it's a place for all things C-Suite.
1: Right. So the first show is... Myob, um, how, did, how did that come to be? How did that sh- show? <laughs> you findings?
2: know, what? I can do some things on Bloomberg that I can't, uh, that, that are great and wonderful, but I can't do everything I'd like to do, right? right. Because I'm because you're limited by the pipeline, and I, and I love Bloomberg. I think it's the greatest network for business there is in yeah. the world. Um, And now I also believe that C-Suite TV is that as well. So I was looking for a way to be able to to deliver some similar but yet different unique content and not have to be limited by episodes or by a model that says you can only do eight episodes a year. So so with C-Suite TV, it gave us an opportunity by announcing Mind Your Own Business, a way for us to look at companies that might not make it to the broadcast level. Right. That might... Might make it to the broadcast level, but yet it's a more compelling, interesting story, and we're going to do it in a different way. And we're going to, to do the interview at a conference, or we'll do the interview in my office, or at their office, and 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 doesn't have to fit the you know the rules of broadcast. And yeah. that I got to make you cry in the interview in order to do it, you know, and and yeah. yeah, but it's still got good, compelling content.
1: Do you have more freedom in what you can ask and and how you can? conduct yourself verbally
2: <laughs> well yeah well, well as you know i'm i'm known to use uh, fairly salty languages mm, me too and 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 yeah i do I'll, a little bit I'm, but no more than necessary i mean you one doesn't want to be vulgar but wants to be direct to the point although you know you gotta watching my show on bloomer you notice that every once in a while they bleep me on my own show yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when I can tell you one example is when I was talking to somebody at uh, CrossFit and I kept talking about the money and they kept saying, well, we really don't care about the money. And I finally said, well, listen, everybody that's watching the show that's sitting in the C-suite is saying, bullshit, <laughs> you, yeah. you, don't, you do care about the money, come on. And I finally got to admit, yeah, we do care about the money. So, um, but you've you got to have, whether it's online, you know, or whether they're listening through a, a podcast, they're watching you online or they're watching you on broadcast. You know, or reading a story, you know, online or in the paper, it's got to be great content, Bob. You know that. Yeah, it
1: does. It does.
2: Yeah, if it's not great content, then it doesn't make a difference whether it's an online show or not. And and what we're trying to show with our online TV, uh, with CsuiteTV.com, is that we can be compelling content online as well as broadcast. Again, we're shooting with the same kinds of cameras and the same kinds of crews. And, and so, and the same kinds of people, you just know, we just, we're just doing it differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all that's all the, the difference. And, and it gives us some, you know, some freedom because, you know, being online does give you a little bit more freedom to, you know, to look different, to act different, to, you know, uh, to have it available. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. So, you know, and we're experimenting. We, you know, we'll find our groove as we go. And and someone says, Well, what jeez, Jeff, it's not it's not the is it perfect? Is it the way you want? No. You know, but no one's gonna die. you know, that's that's the yeah. like final comment. You know, yeah. we'll we'll just do it, we'll have some fun with it. People will find it interesting, those that do, great, those that don't, don't watch, you know.
1: Yeah, we we targeted this show at entrepreneurs predominantly to try and help entrepreneurs um uh get through the minefield of, of starting a business and um making it commercial, because when I go out and, and give presentations, I find that a hell of a lot of people say, you know, listening to um, anybody uh, that's ahead of a Fortune 500 is great, but I don't really learn anything that applies to me. I mean, those things, Welsh is fantastic, but what does Welsh say that can actually help me as a little entrepreneur? Nothing. So with... Except the drive and the enthusiasm, the passion, and that sort of stuff, but in, in practicality. So, why is um, MYOB going to be different? I mean, what are the major reasons that MYOB is going to be different than um, Bloomberg?
2: Well, but it, so the key is there you can learn something from Welch, you can learn something from. So, let's, let's take my first episode, which I focus in on a billion dollar merger of MITEL. Now, Mitel yep. is a company that was based in, up in Ottawa in Canada, now yep. in Dallas, that bought another company in Europe called Astra. They're a telephony company, primarily hardware, and then moving services into the cloud. So if you got a phone system, you want a video conferencing system, that, that's, they compete against Avaya, they compete against Cisco. And overnight, they became a billion-dollar company, They put two $500 million companies together and formed a billion-dollar company. Yep. So if you're a small business, what can you learn from that? Well, take away the zeros. What's the difference? You know, and, and so I ask questions of the leadership team on Mind Your Own Business of what it's like when you have that. Now, you're, now you put two companies together, you're twice as good. You're tell you're the CEO, you're the chief marketing officer and the chief sales officer, who, that's who I interview on the show. Tell me what your first day was like. What, so you, you buy the company, you become twice as good, you're now tell. what's the first three things written on your yellow pad when you come into the office in the morning? Yeah. Now, I don't care whether you're a, a business in Main Street in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I say this all the time, or, or a major corporation on Wall Street, or in this case, my towel billion-dollar company. There's no difference between you and a small company. It's just the numbers of zeros. So, you know, he still had to – so we, we learned. He had to change his email, you know, he had to yeah. you know, find out where the office was. He had to, you know, hire a secretary. I mean – these are things that if you're a small business and you buy your competitor, you know, across the street or across the town, you're going to have to do the same thing. And you yep. find out you're not too different, quite frankly. And yep. and there's lessons to be learned from these guys. You know, like, for instance, with Mitel, one of the things that they did was they moved their fiscal year from uh, was, I think, April 1st to, you know, March 31st. To, with the merger, they moved it to a January first year, which cut off right. you know a couple months of revenue. Right. Well, what was that like? Now, I've had to do that as a small business. I would have liked to have known those things that the chief sales officer told me that he had to go through to do, you know, and and some steps. That was that to me was very insightful.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Are you um, uh, do we assume that the companies on um, myob are going to be um this sounds disrespectful. I don't mean it to. Second, no, go ahead. second second tier companies rather than the um rather than the really big
2: guys? I think Michael is, you know, one of my interviews is probably gonna come over and punch you in the face. No, of course not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Bob, I mean I you know, I can I have greater access to those guys sometimes than I can? Yeah, sometimes. But no, I'm I'm interviewing the chief information officer of HP on the yep. show. Yeah. You know, because and I interviewed the chief procurement officer for the state of Florida. Now, why would I do government? Well, that guy used to be the chief procurement officer at uh, Canadian Royal Bank and and this company and this company and this company and this company. So I, I wanted to talk to him about here's a professional that moved through different businesses. What was that like and what are the things you look for? And then how do you implement, you know, each time you go to a new place, what do you take from the old place? Well, that to me was very insightful. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm interviewing you know guys like that <laughs> and and women like that. So real leaders in businesses that have been you know billion billions and billions of dollars. And then, but I still think even in small companies, I've learned more valuable lessons than I've learned with the big guys. Yeah. How to do things right. Yeah. I and agree. and that's what I try to show on the show.
1: And particularly when there's such a big change, you know, every day the world changes dramatically, technologically and. Uh, The consumers are changing, the delivery systems are changing, so um, the the little guys tend to be able to adapt to that change and and pivot a lot easier than um, than the big guys.
2: yeah, well, you've got some advantages. You've also got some disadvantages. The disadvantages are you don't have the cash. You don't have the resources that the big guys have. I mean, sometimes you don't always have the experience, too, or the people. And so there's lot, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. And, I, and that's what I think is really unique, and that's what we try to show with Mind Your Own Business. With you know, I when I first started my own business, Bob, I always thought, well, all these people are going to come to my aid and help me out and, and show me. And then what I find out is, no, the only person responsible for your business is the one looking in the mirror at you every, every day. Absolutely. So that's, that's, I mean, that's how I came up with mind your own business. You it's, it's you're responsible for minding your own business. And what can we learn from other business leaders and businesses or situations or developments that I think are real unique and handy for a lot of, of, a lot of business leaders in, in the C-suite, whether you're in a small business or a large business. And, that, and I think that's, that's pretty insightful and a lot of fun and things to learn.
1: So if, you're, if you were giving me an elevator pitch as to what the difference is between the Bloomberg show and MYAB, what would that be?
2: Typically, um, what we do with Mind Your Own Business is more focused around one or two players in the business or an individual in the business. And so so we're only sitting down with one or two of that. With C-Suite with with Jeffrey Hazel, we usually take a unique concept around the business, and then we visit with the entire C-Suite and ask them how they did it and the way in which they did it. So, for instance, you know, Domino's. Um, Domino's, you know, ran a commercial, a series of commercials about how their pizza sucked. Well, who stood up in the meeting at the C-suite and said, whoa, 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 I know we're talking about how great we are, but we're really, we suck, and we should go tell people about it. And, and, <laughs> they, and they basically changed their brand promise around, we care more about getting you the box than what was in the box, and now they're yeah. change it to what's in the box. And so right. I thought that was a fundamental change. And so what was that conversation like in the C-suite? And then how did, you, how did you take that and change it? As opposed to mind your own business, you know, which would be interviewing the CEO about how tough was that change, the way in which you did the change, how did right. that make you feel, what was on your list, what did you look out for? And, and go in a li- sometimes a little bit more in-depth because I can do that with you know, with the freedom of an online show, that more so than I can do with a broadcast limited show.
1: Right. So, that's the what other yeah. what other shows are coming to uh, C Suite TV? Uh, when does mine go to air?
2: Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> there you go. Whenever you're ready, baby, because so, we've got models. You know, that that's what's unique about C Suite TV. We're creating our own network, and right. and so I'm looking for other shows, and we're going to announce one in September around. Best-selling authors and interviewing B two B authors, uh, much like you do on the radio, but we'll do a little bit more on the television side, a little bit more visual, and then then and we're only looking, you know, at those best sellers and sure. those people that are driving thought today, in, in terms of B two B, and then then we're looking for other ones. We, we're looking for shows that we curate, which means they are already in existence, and how do we bring them to our network? Uh, because we have this, you know, large distribution of of c-suite executives then we're looking for things that we co-develop whether someone's got a great idea and it's kind of a, a, sh- a pearl in the rough so to speak and yep. we can co-develop it or where we originate it and the origination is where you know i'm putting my money up and and spending money to get it to air and so those are the three models that we have so i'm always looking for great content
1: great <laughs> excuse me i've had this i've had this dreaded disease for a couple of weeks i just can't shake it
2: <laughs> I know what that's like. Having travel. I just got back in from Italy last night, so
1: Oh, right, okay. Um, how's the farm going?
2: It, you know, I can't wait. I'm gonna go back to South Dakota this next weekend and spend about seven or eight days there and getting caught up on the on the ranch, so to speak.
1: If you haven't seen Jeffrey speak and you get the opportunity, you should go along. He's got a he's got some great stories and uh some really good lessons from for example, Kodak, um, which always comes to mind when I when I think of Jeffrey, and when Jeffrey was um, and correct me if I'm wrong, where Jeffrey was trying to convince Kodak um, that they weren't in the film business; they were in the um, um, capturing well, in images. the memories
2: business. I mean, yeah. we were primarily yeah. in the memories business for a long time, and we forgot that. I mean, Kodak was never about the film. If you think about it, we were about but Kodak sure. moments and yeah. whether they're on the personal side or the business side. yeah. See, I, can, I I, right away you mentioned that, and I swing right back into the old speak because I was such a believer, and I still am. I, I love the brand. I think it's one of the most iconic brands in the world. It's just, unfortunately, they missed it back in 1975 and weren't able to catch up.
1: Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like well, to know more about Jeffrey and C-Suite TV, go to How Do They Find You, Jeffrey?
2: C-SuiteTV.com or just you know put in C-Suite S-U-I-T-E and you will find us.
1: Great. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management and I'll be back with you right after
0: this short break. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking,
1: Absolutely No Bullshit Radio Show, and we're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Now, if you've missed any of the shows... Don't forget, you can go to the archives and listen to the shows, listen to the interviews. And uh, you can either do that at Voice America or you can go to bobpritchard.com and they're all there for you as well. Now, this is a segment where I answer emails from listeners across the world. And it's an extremely popular segment because no matter what enterprise you're in, we've all got the same issues and the same challenges, and it doesn't matter whether you're in retail or you're a plumber or you've just invented an app or you're a landscape gardener, or you're running a dry cleaner or you've got a new engine, we all have the same issues, and they very seldom to do with, with the product. I mean, you know, you, all of us have to pivot from time to time, but um, most of the problems are, are involved with marketing, managing, and financial aspects of your business. So this is where this show comes in handy. Now, you might also have a problem that you don't necessarily want to share with the world. Well, if you do, just drop me an email, bob at bobpritchard.com, and I will answer it for you directly. The first email today is from Jason Ferris of Wilmot in Chicago. I'm not sure if that's how you spell, say it, but Wilmot. Dear Bob, I'm a new listener to the program. I really enjoy it. They've also just purchased Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets through Amazon. I'm enjoying it very much. Now, if you haven't got Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, you should go out and get it. Amazon's got it, and um, or you can buy one of the other four books that came before it. They're all good. Um, there's a few copies of some of them around. Some of them are totally sold out. Um, I know that uh, Complex Marketing Made Simple was reprinted three times, and I think there's a few dozen still in existence around the place, so, um, but if you search hard enough, um, Amazon will find it for you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, this is still from Jason, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about beacons and how they can be used for retail. Could you please explain more about beacons, what they are and how they work? Okay. Jason, a lot of people are talking about beacons after, I spoke two weeks ago about Grolsch Beer, giving away free movie tickets when people opened their beer and tapped the beer bottle against their smartphones. There was a beacon built into the bottle cap which was picked up by the... Um, Smartphone who alerted the company, which of course provided you the the free um, the free tickets free movie tickets well beacons are a new type of advice that well it could they could really change the way that people shop in stores and they could totally revolutionize how retailers collect consumer data and how they inter- interact with shoppers and because uh, retailers can use beacons to trigger location based features on on Your smartphone, such as um, targeted coupons, store maps, hand-free payments, etc., and beacons are becoming the most rapidly adopted in-store technology since mobile card card readers. So I thought I'd start the program by answering some of the most common questions. Now I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to whip through this. So the first question, I guess, is what is a beacon? Well, it's a small wireless device that constantly broadcast signals to nearby smartphones and tablets. So the mobile apps will listen for that signal, and when they receive it, they trigger a location-based action. That's the first thing. Secondly, you keep hearing about um, uh, beacons and uh, BLE, which is Bluetooth Low Energy. So what, what have they got to do with each other? Well, BLE is the signal emitted by the beacons, Um, It transmits radio waves, which can penetrate physical barriers like walls, unlike Wi-Fi or cell signals, which are disrupted by things like concrete walls. Secondly, BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy, consumes only a fraction of the battery power that a classic Bluetooth does. The third most popular question was, do beacons work with iPhones and Android phones? Well, yep. They do, but they work differently. Only iOS 7 devices constantly scan for BLE and wake up the apps, even if they're closed, when they come within range of a beacon. Now, iPhones and iPads can do this, thanks to Apple's iBeacon protocol, but Android devices do not have a beacon system of this type, so they must be on and scan for BLE all the time, which means you're going to use a lot more drain on your battery the fourth question is what is an iBeacon well it's kind of like an Apple beacon iBeacon is um, not an off-the-shelf beacon that retailers can buy and install on in, in, in their stores um, it's a system built into the latest version of Apple iOS 7 anyway I've run out of time unfortunately so don't forget I want to hear from you So visit my website at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard